if you're an acquisition-based business where you always need to fill the funnel, I want to find a way to get new traffic and leads where it's very cost-effective for me. That's where product-led growth can make a lot of sense. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right, today on the podcast, we're going to try something a little different. I have a, an old friend of mine, Wenting Zhang, who's coming on, and she's pre-launch with her startup idea. She has an insanely impressive background, worked at Adobe. She was a professor in New York around design. She's hacked together a lot of hacker side projects that have taken off on Product Hunt. Some have even crashed because I got so much traffic. And she's working on a product called Typogram that allows you to, at the click of a button, make an amazing logo and brand kit that costs you 50 to 150 bucks as opposed to paying 10 grand for a branding agency. So the idea, the value is very, very novel and very impressive, but she's early days. She's building up her wait list. So we're going to compare notes. I'm going to talk to her about how it's going. And then she's going to ask me some questions on what she's doing with the business, how she's thinking about growth. Um, so it's kind of a fun back and forth um, that, that I hope you'll get out of it. But I might do some more of this where we bring in founders and really have them talk through what they're going through and problems we have and thinking through what to do. And so um, this will be a fun one, but I think she's got a really impressive idea um, that, that could be something special in the year, but obviously easier said than done. But let me know what you think of this episode and hope you get something out of it. All right. Welcome. Welcome. Today on the podcast, I have somebody that I, I've actually come in contact with. Shoot, it might be like seven or eight years ago, which means I'm getting old. But I was living in New York at the time. I was just trying to get into the startup scene and just attending all the events I could. And I went to this New York like startup meetup. It was, it was in a huge auditorium and there was someone presenting this kind of unassuming girl walks on stage, gets behind the podium and starts presenting. And I think the whole crowd was blown away just with what she was working on and her design skills. I remember afterward people going up and like, hey, will you work for us? Because that was the funny thing with startups. If you see anyone somewhat talented, you just get helicoptered by all these founders or entrepreneurs. But we, we, we did the same. But luckily, we got to work with Winting at the startup that I was at. And we've been able to stay in contact. And she's created a company that she's building that it's it's fun to kind of just share notes. And we were talking. And I was like, you know, we should just do a podcast and compare notes as we're both looking to build these companies. But Wenting, welcome to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. A little bit about myself. My name is Wenting, like Jim said. I used to work for Adobe for many years. I think that was after, after I stopped wor working with you guys, I joined Adobe and I was working on, you know, heavily on design tools and that was my dream job. And then I quit Adobe to start my own design tool company called Typogram. It is a logo design software, but unlike Adobe, my software is made for non-designers or non-professionals, which is Want to create a brand, entrepreneurs like 
ourselves. You know, we are in the grind every day, and sometimes we don't have time or money to hire somebody. You know, hire out for a, for a logo design or brand design job, and we just want to DIY. And my tool is made for you for that scenarios. That's super exciting. And so, if you go to typogram.co, there's a waitlist page where you can pre-order anywhere from fifty dollars to one hundred and twenty-five dollars. You're able to essentially get. A low, so it's software that allows people to create logos that look professional. You look like a VC-backed company where you're at that level, but you're not a designer. So that's really kind of the magic moment of this. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. The pre-order price is $50. The after-launch price will be back to the normal price of $125. Maybe contrary to some, some notion of what logo design should be, we're designing the whole brand kit. So not just a logo, but the entire surrounding materials around a brand. A brand needs to be everywhere. And you sometimes you can't snap a logo everywhere your brand needs to be present. So we also create a color palette and a typography system for your editorials so that your brand can be everywhere. So just, you know, when you send an email, you don't sometimes have the opportunity to put a logo everywhere. Like, And there's different levels of brand presence. Sometimes it's very loud, very centered about your logo. Sometimes it's, you know, very subtle. That's amazing. So I, I want to get into the journaling and everything that you're doing, because you and I are both big fans of this idea of building in public. I think it's great for two reasons. One, it allows you to think when you have to put stuff out there public, publicly, it makes you really reassess why you're doing something because people are watching you. And it can be a nice way to build a community and a following as you're building a wait list. But before we even get into that, you're working at Adobe. That's the dream job for a designer. I'm, I'm such a big fan of what they've done. And then with Figma, it's going well there. You're like, no, I don't want to make six figures. I'm going to go not make money and start a business. Talk about the decision to make that leap? Was it inevitable because you always knew you were going to do that? Or what was the jumping off point? I have been thinking about that for, for a while, for maybe for a year or more while working at Adobe. There are different factors that I, I couldn't do that at the time. And it's also a mental preparation I need to to do to get ready to not making that much money. I think if eventually I came to this mental model that, that I think is interesting because you know, when I started to get into the startup business, I always heard investments, right? And VC money. And I was thinking about this, using that as a metaphor. I was thinking maybe I'm a VC that invested the equivalent of my yearly salary to my company. And if I, you know, eventually want to raise money and get other people excited for my startup and put more money, more money than what I, you know, was making every year. I need to convince myself to put the equivalent into my startup. So that's, that's my mental model. Instead of making that money, I'm investing my yearly salary into my startup. And so far I've invested a lot of money apparently into my startup, but that's, you know, I believe in that and I want to work full time on my startup and that's the trade-off. Yeah. I like this framework you're using because people will look at investment as, money, which it is, but it really is time and then putting a value on your time because you know what you're paid in a year for something. You're like, why should I be putting that towards another company where I don't have significant equity? Let me put that to my own thing. The nice thing about putting time to it is you're really assessing if this is a good decision or not. Are there things you did to supplement your income, whether it was building up a nest egg that you could leverage so you could focus 100% of your energy on the project or 
were you freelancing on the side to get some one-off jobs to pay for groceries or whatever you need to do to keep a roof over your head? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, your last metaphor was actually one of my points that I'm about to make. I definitely this is this was the planned move. I I I attempted to quit first when when COVID hit, and that's about the time I was like, I want to go to another team, or I want to start my own company, another team in Adobe. So it's either transferring or starting my own company. And at the time, I was a little scared away. Uh, by the COVID, you know, I, I don't want to ha- not have a health insurance if I got COVID. I don't know how serious COVID is going to be. So I, I, I attempted to quit, but I was convinced to to stay for, you know, eventually another year, more than another year. But during that year, I already have this idea, right, to quit. And I plan my move carefully. I definitely internally brainstorm a few income sources, passive income sources. I tried everything. I was trying to sell icons. I have a few icon projects. Maybe that could generate some money significant enough to make an impact on my living. I tried to, like you said, build a nest egg and put them into stock market. That was a good idea, but it didn't work out for the past year or so, but hopefully in the future. And I I think freelancing is always uh, going to be an option. And I, but I try to do not so much about it. I want to focus, you know, 100% on typogram if possible, have least uh, amount of distraction to create least amount of distraction for myself. Another thing I did is I bought I bought a place because one thing that I was worried about is that my lease is up and without income, if I want to go to a new place, sign a new lease, I don't have the income to back it up, right? So that's what I did. I got a mortgage, I bought a place so that kind of locked in my rent for the foreseeable future to control what my spending will be. That's that's my point. If entrepreneurs, if you can, I, I recommend that because that's a really big problem for entrepreneurs because founders don't get paid a lot. Even with VC-backed money, founders oftentimes get paid very little, very minimal because what you're working for is for equity, not for salary. And your investor may have problems of investing too much of their money went into your pocket, right, of your salary. I think there's a survey about how much founders are getting paid. I think, you know, even if I'm backed by VC, I expect maybe 50K per year. Yeah, so I think I think um, to quit a job and to start an entrepreneur journey shouldn't be a spur, spur of the moment thing. You need to be planned. You need to be kind of going through your head multiple times and make the, it's a, it's a big financial decision essentially for your life. Yeah, it is. You, you want to manage your burn. I think that's really smart. It's almost a little counterintuitive the way you did it, but it makes total sense living in New York because when you're renting places to get a new place, they want to see that pay stub. They want to make sure that you can do it. So if you don't have a pay stub, you're not going to be able to get a place. Whereas if you can lock in a rate that's a, a good amount for what you want your burn to be, then you're in a really good spot. But yeah, it's really like when you start a business, it, it has this whole financial decision that whether it's you or you, you and yourself and your spouse being on that same page. So you're like, all right, let's do this. You've been thinking about it. You've created this foundation to go do it. Another thing, I know you and you're always tinkering. You've always been like working on things and launching them on Product Hunt. You've got coding fonts and and symbols to copy. What are some things you've learned from doing those kind of side projects, side hustles 
that prepared you for typogram? Because I think a lot of times people are, they want to really glorify and fantasize. Like you come up with the idea, you launch it and it's a success. And usually it's like the first, like one to three to four things you do are flops or they don't do anything meaningfully well, but it prepares you for that one that does well. Cause I have so many things I tinkered with that I would never want to show anybody, but it's what allowed me to get to this stage. But what did you take away from some of those successful side projects? That's a good question because I think what leads me to entrepreneurship are those little tinkeries on the on the side. I get ex- excited working on those things and I want to work on those full time. That's essentially the the fundamental drive for me to quit job and do my own thing because I have such such enjoyment that I'm willing to donate my entire weekend on those things and people don't believe me for that. You know, I have this one project that I draw 500 icons with just CSS. And people were like, how do you come up with all those time to do it? You must did this for a job. This is a side you know, product of a job, like paid job. And I said, no, I did it on a weekend and I had so much fun and I would rather do that instead of other things. It's motivating to work on my own thing and that excitement to push the launch button on product. Hunt, I think that's very addicting too. just kind of the anticipation, the launch day hassle, right? Like you, you get those visitors and a lot of my products when I launch on Product Hunt were, were, were hacker news. People would have requests like, why don't you add this? Why don't you add that? Or in midday, because it was so successful, it crashed because it was like I was on the free plan. And, you know, that happened multiple times actually, but it was excitement. It was, it was fun. And I, I want to do this full time. But there is something that I learned from those that is actually different from doing a startup. A startup is not just about launching things and, and get the first day success, right? It's a continuous thing. That's what something I learned that was contrary to what I thought would be, you know, making something really cool and people will love it. But if you want to charge people for it, it's not going to just depend on that first day gl- launch day glory. You have to continuously show up day after day. And maybe it's not because it's paid, people are less excited about, about your project. All the tinkering project that I did was free and it was cool, fun and free. So people don't have to pay anything to enjoy it. But now I want people to pay me to use typogram and that that's a different thing and people are not going to be uh, ravering about your product if it doesn't meet their re- expectation of the $50 they paid you or however how much money they paid you so it's a different game sometimes but learning to launch products that's a that's a really good foundation for me to build on because i you know once i have this i know a few channels to market them i know how to get my product out there. I know the first step. And that was enough of a confidence boost for me to take the leap of faith. That's such good advice. And like getting those little wins as far as coming up with idea, building it, launching it, getting some traction. Those are things that create momentum as you look to kind of go all in on something. Today's episode is brought to you by inside.com. Are you a founder, marketer, or executive that's looking for the next untapped social channel? Then look no further. Seriously, this one just launched and it's already getting insane traffic. It's like the website love child of Reddit and Twitter, but for business. I love it because it's the social news site and community site that actually cuts through the noise, unlike other platforms. I can discover content from other founders, plus it's a great place to share my own thoughts with professionals. I'm actually starting to get a little bit of traffic from it. For me, 
I like the topics feature because I can easily jump into inside. I can filter by startup content, e-commerce content, or marketing content to find things to help me learn or to help me make my own business decisions. Plus, they host AMAs. That means ask me anything so you can connect with other like-minded professionals. It's more than just news. It's an efficient way to grow your network with impressive business minds. I was sold on them because of the team behind it, Alex and Jason. This is the brainchild of Jason Kalkanis. He's one of the hosts of my favorite podcast, The All In Podcast. He's an icon in the business world, the startup world, and he knows content. So you know the quality's there. Last, you might want to grab your inside URL before someone else does. Luckily, I got Jim Huffman before my nemesis in Minnesota got it. If you want to connect with me, go to inside.com, search my name, and let's chat. I'd love to know what you think of the podcast or what you think of Inside. Let me know what you think. Before we kind of turn the tables, I'd love to know just because you're you're so good at brand and design, you know, what is some brand advice you would give to founders and their startups, some things that can make a huge difference in, in how they go to market? Because I get so bummed when I see people work so hard on an idea or a concept, but then their idea of it in their head versus what they invested in a brand or look is very disconnected because they don't know how to take it to that next step. What are some like secrets or tips you could give to people to to take it you know to the the hundred percent level of being an amazing brand I think one advice I would give to people I think that's to the contrary of what most people think startup oftentimes are very tight on resources and they think of a brand something that they could redo in the future like now I would just have this shitty brand for a little bit after I get the investment money then I can hire somebody and do a really grand rebrand sometimes that's not the best way to approach things I think brand is something your company need to grow with so having one brand that maybe you aren't happy with and then Expect, you know, hoping one day you're going to have a grand redo. That's not very realistic because people are getting know to your brand as your company grows. So you should have brand that is consistent with your, with your journey. The brand should evolve over time instead of having like a huge jump, huge change from one to another. Looking into those successful brands, one day they were a really small company. If, even including Starbucks or Coca-Cola, they have very tiny brand. And you can see their brand like evolving year after year, but there's still some common elements between them there that connect them together. They're not like one versus another that's completely two different brands. So I advise people, even you're just starting early, investing your brand in a way that you think this brand is going to evolve to your next brand instead of expecting some someday you're going to hire a professional to redo everything and completely change your brand image. Because that is abandoning all the work that you did before. You should keep that. And that's why I think Typogram is solving that that part of the problem because it lets you have control of your brand assets from the get-go. And initially you have a brand that is suiting your company, you know, how much you want your brand to grow. You can still, Typogram will be there, there for you. You can still make changes. Another big problem is that founders don't have access to make small changes to their brand. A lot of times I heard stories that someone, you know, hire a, a 
a contractor working on something, but they don't have the source material or the source file, just adding like one little letters is not doable. It's very complicated. And typogram empowers you to, to make those small edits. I have heard stories like, oh, my branches have another word because I want to be more big. And that was not possible to just add one word to your brand name because it's all vectorized file that it was not text anymore and you don't you don't have access to those things anymore. So that's that's something I would advise you to have the full control of your brand from the beginning. Don't have a huge jump or disconnect between one brand and the evolving of that brand later on. Try to keep a consistent tone, even though it, it will become better, it will become grander based on your company size. And you may have you know, rebrand later on, but some elements need to be kept between those brands. So your your loyal customers, your audience can follow along instead of having to accept a brand new thing, and a brand new thing every single time that you change your brand. Nailed it. You know, I've struggled with this personally, and I, I've seen the good and the bad of not investing in brand. I think one of the reasons why people don't is they're have good intentions, but they're thinking lean startup, move fast, iterate. And it's how oh, the brand isn't the main thing. It's about the, the product and delivering value, which there's absolutely truth to that. But a brand isn't just about having a logo or a, a pretty font. It conveys trust. It conveys quality. It conveys personality or edge or tone. And even with growth, it, I was like, I don't need to invest in it. But like a year or two in, I was like, man, we really need to get better premium clients. But as you look at my website, like who would want to work with us? So we made a very like big move for us at the time to go all in on rebrand, updating the website and making it look more premium. And we would get so many compliments on it. And a part of me was like, man, I wish I would have done that earlier because brands more than just logos, it, it conveys so much more, especially when, when you put in that lens. So we, we think about it a lot. And again, it doesn't mean hiring Red Antler and paying 50K and giving them 10% of your company. There's other ways you can do it and, and iterate. But I, I think that's, that's really good advice for people to think through because a brand is a moat, right? That can be your true point of differentiation in a place where you're getting commoditized. And to bring it back to make this a sales plug for you, with Typogram, you're really kind of democratized. I hate, I'm not even going to say it. You're leveling the playing field with people making good brands. I mean, you and I, with One Day Design, we're kind of going after design. We're kind of taking down your people, which I feel a little bad about, but it's you know, making it more accessible so people can have really good designs and brands. But that's that's fantastic advice. Yeah, I think I think the entrepreneurs are the best DIYers. I am myself included. I'm a designer and now I'm coding my app 24-7. By learning coding myself, and you know, a lot of the job requires you learn how to do something yourself or or become kind of an expert on everything that you do, right? I'm also learning marketing. I'm learning growth hack. I try to learn from you and you taught me so much. There's many aspects of your business that you need to learn new things on and brand could be one of those. Yeah, that's a very good point. If anything can make people appreciate design and you're raising the baseline for people starting earlier. So I I, I absolutely agree. But I, I know we kind of talked to be fun to turn the tables a little bit. You had some yeah. fun questions. You're like, hey, let me grill you. I was like, all right, let's go for it. So it's, it's always fun to compare notes, but yeah, have at it. 
yeah, I I really love this opportunity to kind of flip the table and ask you a few questions, burning questions of mine. Like I said earlier, I, I'm trying to learn growth hack. One of the things that I did that I, I want to share before I start asking you questions is doing engineering as growth. So I do those, the tinkering projects that oftentimes could be an easy success on the launch day. I try to still do them sometimes and use them as a growth venue, you know, Launch this product thing, but Trojan horse my typogram in a, in those products to as a way to growth hack. What are some underestimate of advice that it, com- it comes to growth? Yeah, and one thing that Wenting was talking about is this idea of engineering as marketing, and there's other forms of this where you could even call it product-led growth. And it's where you build something where the goal isn't necessarily to monetize what you've built, but it becomes a lead channel or tool to drive more business. Some iconic examples would be when HubSpot launched, they did a website grader where you put your website into this, your URL into their website. They grade it from an SEO and CRO perspective. That put them on the map and how they got leads and then funneled them to their product or tool. There's a hit list made this thing called Wonder Tab, where it's a Chrome extension. Every time you open a new place or a new Chrome extension tab, it shows you somewhere in the world you can go. It shows you the price of a flight. And if you're close to LaGuardia, it's like it leaves in four hours. And it's a very aspirational thing. There's been other like referral mechanisms. I think it was like Flipagram would put watermark on their images you would put out there. So it became this amazing brand awareness play. These are my favorite ways to grow because of one of two reasons. One, you're not spending money on ads, which can, as you scale, can become hard to keep ROI positive. And two, it lets the product do the work for you, especially if you can make the product the hero. And a lot of companies are unable to do this, and some are. What's exciting about something like Typogram is you're able to, you can even have some free version where you get it, but it's all watermarked. Or, you know, hey, we'll give you a discount if you share this with four people or whatever that is. If you can do it where you set it and forget it, that is amazing. And those can be harder and harder to pull off. Like Dropbox, they got to $10 billion in valuation with their iconic one of run out of free cloud storage, pay for more, or share this with friends and get more free cloud storage. That outperformed everything they did. So first and foremost, if you're able to pull something like that off, go for it. But it's about what makes sense in 2022 and 2023 to do that type of marketing. As far as your question, like what is tried and true to do for everything? um, I don't have a direct answer for that, but I think it's more of a process and a framework where I think people that haven't done marketing or growth before, they easily get discouraged. They'll try something that everybody's doing. They'll go live with Facebook ads or cold email outreach, whatever that is, and it doesn't work. And they get discouraged and they're like, well, Facebook ads don't work for us. I would just be like a dog to a bone and just really know that you're going to try things. I think Sean Ellis says like 70% of your ideas will fail. If not, you're not trying enough things. And just accept most of the stuff you do is going to fail in a way where it's not scalable and repeatable. But when you have something that works, almost drop everything and go all in on that at the early stages. And you'll be surprised at the things you can scale. So many iconic growth stories today launched on things that don't scale for me. I was in New York doing free work for people for Growth Hit. I was doing free talks. 
I still do talks. That still works. And we, we've grown significantly from the, those early days. So I think it's just being relentless about these bottom-up approaches. Like for you as a tinker, it could be launching these one-off things, doing different launches on communities. Even one form of growth that I like for kind of hackers like you and even myself, I'm not as techy as you, but it's really building in public and building a community because that those are things I get really excited about. And if you look at Nathan Barry and ConvertKit and Justin Jackson and, and Transistor, they did that extremely well. But but those are things that that I'm always impressed by. That's that's a really good advice. I think I I agree with you hundred percent of the time. I think a lot of things you try it, it won't pay out the first time you try it. Not because it's bad ideas, because there are some parameters you need to tinker with to make it work. Just like coding work, you you have an idea, you won't just write a bunch of code and run. It's not gonna run the first time. Like at least for me, it won't run. I heard a lot about something called product led growth, and then there's traditional marketing led growth. I just want to dig into that a little bit more. Where do you see the difference between them and what are your opinion on them for a digital product typogram? Which one do you recommend us spending more time on or more energy on? Yeah. what The thing I'm thinking with typogram is what type of business model are we in? If it's 50 to 120, $150 as a one-time purchase, is there continuity revenue as far as people doing another purchase down the road? Are there upsells and cross-sells or is it a true acquisition-based business where like they do it one and we'll see them later? Because based off that is how I'm thinking through growth. Because if you're an acquisition-based business where you always need to fill the funnel, I want to find a way to get new traffic and leads where it's very cost-effective for me. That's where product-led growth can make a lot of sense. If it's the opposite, if it's a subscription where they're paying a monthly fee or annual subscription, or you have upsells and cross-sells dialed in, then I'm I'm down to really get into the game of, of paid acquisition and some traditional marketing because you're going to have such a nice lifetime value, how much money you're going to be making in a quarter or in a year from people that you can experiment more. So those are two things that are going to my mind. But for you, I'm thinking... Short-term and long-term, how can you get 1, 10, 50 transactions a month and do that in whatever way possible? And usually that's kind of traditional marketing, but a bottoms-up approach and maybe things that aren't paid, but it's more of you doing content, you doing build in public, you doing community infiltration, trying to do partnerships and collabs. And then as you make more money investing in paid, I would dual track that. Well, while you're doing these scrappy kind of marketing things through the funnel, I would still be testing and I would list out like 20 product-led growth ideas. And when I say product-led growth, it's using the product to be your marketing tool or using your customers to be your marketers. And there's ways to think about that is, do you have some sort of free or discounted option where for them to use it, they have to share or open it up? Or do you build it into it? Like something like DocuSign that's naturally viral has a beautiful version of product-led marketing. It's a little annoying, but it works. First, when you use DocuSign, you have to share it to somebody else to sign a contract. And then when you're that person receiving the contract, good Lord, they're like, hey, do you want? Do you need contracts? Does your company need contracts? Here's how you can create an account. And they're really trying to activate you that way. And you could even be less aggressive and be more subtle with watermarks and things to build the awareness 
But but those are things that could be really exciting because my guess is when someone's creating a, a brand kit or a logo with you, they're not just going to look at it themselves. They're going to share it with their team, investors, or whoever else that is. And if there's a way to suddenly put that in there, even email newsletters will say at the very bottom, like powered by MailChimp or ConvertKit. So there's different ways you can try and pull that off. That's a really good advice. And also lead me to other thoughts as well that I didn't have before. Because your first question is what my business rep, business model currently is. And it's, it's a one-time payment, but I'm also growing it to be other things so they can have recurring revenue in the future. So you, what you're saying reminds me that my strategy have to constantly change for what 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 stage I am. And currently, I'm a one-time payment. I'm pre-order, so that's that's totally different game. And once I launch, it's a one-time payment, and I need to get more and more people to buy it. That's the downside of having one-time payment. But inter- after interviewing my customers, that's the, that's the model that they are comfortable with. Brand is not a a continuous need that you have every month. So charging them a subscription doesn't really make sense for this product. But then them as a user, they're entrepreneurs, they have other needs that I can fill. And those needs can be recurring, like landing page design. They can be recurring. They can be a constant needs that is reasonable to charge a subscription for. But my business is not there yet. When I grow into that stage to have recurring revenue, then my my growth, my marketing tactics need to adapt to where I was. It need to be constantly something I, I rethink about and thinking in relationship of what my business model is. That's something, that's a thought that I didn't have before. So thank you so much for bringing my mind into that space. I also didn't think of my business model and the growth growth tactic that has a very close relationship. That's also a very interesting, interesting thought. Another question I have is that you, you mentioned that earlier too, that, you know, for entrepreneurs, maybe, you know, to support myself or support yourself, we sometimes have other projects and you have many different projects. You have every, every time you share, there's three tracks that you're sharing. It's, there is a, a direct to consumer product that you're doing that is your, your startup within a startup idea. And then there's agency that's doing so well. You have all those different track of work. How do you, coordinate or how do you distribute your energy into those different track of business? Is there any time management or project management tips for that type of work? Because I oftentimes find a little bit expensive for me to context switch, working on typogram, even like working on typogram coding versus typogram design, because I'm the one person doing both, is sometimes expensive for me to switch in between. How did you deal with the different, you know, multiple tracks of work? Oh my gosh. Good question. And I definitely don't have it figured out. I'm still trying to figure out that right framework. And the the way I think through it is, you know, I, I've read like GTD, Getting Things Done, Atomic, all these books to like find the hack for being productive. And what I really learned, it's about saying no and it's about focus. So there's some ways I try and do that because Deep down, a part of me is like, man, what if I was just focusing on one thing and doing it really well? But I know me, I have shiny object syndrome. We have this $3 million challenge of launching an agency, a D2C brand, a productized service and getting them to seven figures. So here's what I try and do. First is having an amazing team around me. So when we need to execute something, I'm not doing strategy and execution. And so it's empowering people to deliver on those things and, and really creating those lanes of what they're accountable for. The, the second is there are things that I have to do and, and I want to do. And then there's grunt work I don't want to do. And 
I'm very big in two things. One is trying to minimize transition costs because if one day I'm deep on growth fit, it's hard to all of a sudden jump into a one-day design meeting or handsome chaos meeting because I'm I'm not there where I need to be to give the best strategic thoughts or work. So I try to break up days to be focused on things like, oh, this is finance day and operations day. This is creative brainstorm day. And I'm trying to break it up by company. We're not quite there yet, but it's more of like how I'm thinking through work. The other thing I was really struggling with, you know, we have like so much to do and you just stare at your to-do list or your Asana and you're like, what do I work on right now? My email automation flow, the new landing page design, do we get leads? As I have 90 minutes, you want to maximize it. So I started on Sundays just writing down, here are the three to five things I have to focus on to have the biggest impact. I really had to go back to square one. And then I can sift through all my items. But that that that's how I'm, I'm trying to, to pull it off. But also know that fires arise and things happen, whether it's work or I have two kids or even today we had a car problem. We have to take the car in. I was like, oh, I was going to work during that hour. But now I've got to like try and find that hour back. And I will have one night a week where I'll stay up pretty late. But I try not to do that more than once because it's not sustainable and you'll pass out. But those are some things I'm attempting to do. I, I don't know about you, but that's what I'm playing with. It sounds like you have you have more things to juggle with than than I do. But you also have a bigger team, so that's a, both of a challenge and also also help. Do you have a, a team? But is it also another stream of work to manage that team? I currently don't have a team. My startup is two person, me and my co-founder. We figured that collaboration part out, but just within ourselves, we still have to juggle a, a lot of different things. And sometimes the shiny object syndrome as well. I kind of want to break away from just coding for typogram for a while, just working on a brand new thing that I can launch really quickly to get that, I don't know, like the dosage of excitement, you know, to keep keep me going. There's a lot of things going on within a startup. I think that's one thing that draws, draws me to it. You know, at a big corporate, you kind of just have to worry about one thing and one thing only, and maybe go to like a couple of meetings. But in typogram, it's a lot of other things, a lot of other skills to get, to get, and you kind of become a new type of worker or a new person and during the scenarios. And that's, that's part of the excitement of itself. Thank you so much for talking to me. I, I think I learned a lot from you. I think every time you talk about marketing, I see the kind of the light lit up in your eyes. I, I really like that. I like that about entrepreneurship. Wow. That's real. First, I was so kind of you say, but that's a really good tell if someone's really doing something they're excited about, if they can kind of nerd out on it and talk about it, or in your case, spend a whole weekend hacking something, launching it on product hunt and selling out. And that's, it like gives you energy. And there's this quote, if, if what has worked to somebody else is a game to you, that's where you want to play because then you have an, an unfair advantage. But no, well, you know, one thing could be so fun is after you launch this and get going, we could get an update on how the progress is. Yeah. And I'd love also if you could send me the links of you building in public with some of the mm -hmm. stuff you're sharing. I think that could be very helpful for people because a lot of people like have an idea, but hold back on launching it. And you kind of you, you didn't stall. You waited for COVID, then you launched. But clearly that you've got some fun stuff going. But I'm excited to see how it goes and kind of keep the conversation going. Where can people follow you and where should they go to know more about Typogram and what you're doing? 
Yeah, yeah. One thing I want people lead people to is the my newsletter that I was talking about. That initially I wrote every day for thirty days, and now it transitioned to a weekly newsletter. It's very short read about kind of my journey, a very down to earth stuff. It's nothing grand, but I think that's the beauty of it. Just kind of see another person in the grand, and you know, struggling or or triumphs in a very small dosage. It, you can find my newsletter at build.typogram.co. It's it's free. I mean, free. To, feel free to check it out. And also, my product typogram.co is currently in pre-order for fifty dollars, and the normal price is going to be one hundred and twenty-five. So, getting now is a huge discount, and we're about to launch in January. You can check out the demo video on the top of the landing page. It's, it records a lot of the features that we have already built, but not including a lot of other features we haven't built. But I'm sharing those progress in my newsletter as well every month. Like one of the issues. It's about sharing what I have built in the past months. A lot of exciting things that are happening. Um, you know, I write about them. I talk about them. I share my opinion about them as well. Yeah, I I really enjoy building public. Just I think, Jim, you're doing a good job at, on that as well. It's not just, you know, uh, as a marketing tool for us to get customers. It's also very helpful for other fellow entrepreneurs to, to kind of preview what the life would be. And we are trying to be as real as possible. You know, I have seen you sharing, for example, the direct-to-consumer product being negative on the revenue. I think that's very inspiring of itself that you're not going to make money on the day one. You're not going to hit a million dollar on day one. And that of itself is reading really helpful and powerful information to get out there. So we're not afraid to share really bad results. Sometimes after launch, I don't get a lot of, a lot of people share a very grand results and, you know, it's great that they have that. And But I don't think at the same time, if you don't have a really cool result, we should share those two to balance them out because that's the whole reality. Some people are going to be super successful on day one. Some people are not. And their success was much slower growth, kind of climb the mountain to the top. And we should share that too. If we reserve from sharing, then it seems that entrepreneurship is being distorted in, in social media because the success often gets shared and the failure doesn't get shared. And when you get into it, you feel like you're the only failure in the field and you get just so discouraged, disencouraged by that, which is totally not true. Yeah, I hope to not be sharing negative revenue numbers, but that's what's going to be till February. But no, I totally agree. Just and it's it's almost like this therapy session for putting it out there, and it's and usually the response is just really collaborative and fun, you know. And by the way, I really recommend people going to build.typogram.com. There's some really fun blog posts here, especially your kind of mental framework you're hitting on as far as looking at your salary as this investment in uh, in your own company and brand, but but really cool stuff. But Wenting, this was a blast. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm excited to keep chatting and whenever Typogram goes, goes live, but hope you have a good rest of the day. You too, you too. Looking forward to future collaborations and good luck with your three ventures. I hope you hit the mark <laughs> really soon. give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, 
GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Today's episode is brought to you by Inside.com. Are you a founder, marketer, or executive that's looking for the next untapped social channel? Then look no further. Seriously, this one just launched and it's already getting insane traffic. It's like the website love child of Reddit and Twitter, but for business. I love it because it's the social news site and community site that actually cuts through the noise, unlike other platforms. I can discover content from other founders, plus it's a great place to share my own thoughts with professionals. I'm actually starting to get a little bit of traffic from it. For me, I like the topics feature because I can easily jump into Inside. I can filter by startup content, e-commerce content, or marketing content to find things to help me learn or to help me make my own business decisions. Plus, they host AMAs. That means ask me anything so you can connect with other like-minded professionals. It's more than just news. It's an efficient way to grow your network with impressive business minds. I was sold on them because of the team behind it, Alex and Jason. This is the brainchild of Jason Kalkanis. He's one of the hosts of my favorite podcast, The All In Podcast. He's an icon in the business world, the startup world, and he knows content. So you know the qualities there. Last, you might want to grab your inside URL before someone else does. Luckily, I got Jim Huffman before my nemesis in Minnesota got it. If you want to connect with me, go to inside.com, search my name, and let's chat. I'd love to know what you think of the podcast or what you think of Inside. Let me know what you think.